Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist. And I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 88 for Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. In this cybersecurity-focused podcast, Eric, Michael, and I discuss cyber threat hunting and cyber threat intelligence, or CTI. All this and more in the next Venue Podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Venue or any guest's employer. Hey, guys. How's it going today? Hey, Will. Hey, Will. Hey, Michael. We are here for another Venue Podcast. Um, We're we're trying to get these out. We're trying to pay pay atonement for us being... um, laxical with getting podcasts out end of last year and the beginning of this year. So now we're going to flood your inbox with venue podcasts and good everyday IT information. So we're trying to get these things out more often. And in doing so, uh, we decided to do a couple of them here. Uh, You should see two of them coming pretty close, um, maybe a day between each other. Um, But we wanted to introduce today's topic, which is, Faisley, I'll, I'll I'll hand it over to you. Sure. Yeah, we're we're going to do kind of a cyber threat series, and today's topic is going to be on threat hunting. Threat hunting. Yes, threat hunting. So, in a lot of cybersecurity conversations that that are had today, whether you're going to a um, you know some type of talk or a vendor talking to you, they typically focus on things like. Um, identity protection, recovery functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework, right? Um, and for those of you who don't know, it's it's kind of five functions. You have identity, protect, detect, respond, and recover. And like I said, more often than not, a lot of those conversations today um, focus on things like identity protection and recovery, right? How, how am I stopping it? Um, things like asset protection, think of that for identity and recovering is is kind of an, an obvious function. Mm-hmm. Two of the functions that don't get as much love in conversations are detect and response. Um, and today's topic that we're going to talk about on threat hunting, that one fits pretty squarely into the detect and response functions. Um, so with that, I... I Guess let's go ahead and get started so, and talk about why threat hunting is important. Can I can I can but, I can I interject and kind of define what threat hunting is? As yeah, I was going to do the same. As a person who's not necessarily a cybersecurity expert like you, Michael, but uh, let me take an attempt at um, defining it. Really, is threat hunting is you threat hunt when you necessarily don't have a problem, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, by the way. But threat hunting, you start doing proactively and you basically want to put yourself into the skill set and the mindset of a bad actor mm-hmm. and really try and hack yourself and find out vulnerabilities that maybe weren't uncovered in your systems before a hacker does right so maybe you install maybe in your your cloud or on premises virtualization or physical servers You've got everything running and customers are happy, your users are happy, but you're like, let me go and see where my vulnerabilities are. Let me go port scan. Let me go run um, vulnerability scans. Let me 
try and hack passwords, maybe do some things to try and identify for myself where the weaknesses is where the weaknesses are in my either perimeter from a network perspective or inside the network on the systems that are running my applications. So and, you, you are kind of bleeding into a different area there uh -huh. when, when we talk about things like um, uh, engaging a red team, right? Um, or sometimes or organizations will go and reach out to like a um, company that does penetration testing, mm -hmm. right? They do a lot of that. Um, you are definitely correct in in the uh, mindset that a lot of threat hunting, um, when you talk about it, it's it's done in a, a proactive sense, right? Um, you can have reactive triggers, right? Um, that that cause threat hunting to occur, but um, in in a general sense, you're you're going to want to do um, threat hunting in in a proactive sense, and it's it's closely tied to um, another topic that we're going to talk about on our next podcast, which is uh, CTI. But when you're talking about threat actors. <clears throat> They're, they're not really all the same, right? You, you have threat actors out there that, that are script kiddies who are basically people that, that use um, applications. They, they don't really know what they're doing. They pop open Kali Linux and they start using some of the tools. Um, and then you have various degrees between that and say like a nation state, right? Um, an organization that's funded by a government, they have incredible amounts of funding and, and expertise and they're very advanced. <clears throat> and all of those different threat actors have different actions, right? Different goals that, that they're trying to um, realize. And depending upon the threat actor, right? If you're running into one that <clears throat> wants to uh, carry out a ransomware attack, wants to exfiltrate data, things like that, they'll want to get inside your network, right? And establish what's known as an advanced persistent threat that you sometimes hear these threat, these threat actors refer to as APTs or advanced persistent threats because they not only gain access to the network, but once they gain access to the network, they start doing additional scanning and lateral movement um, and are looking for things on the network that, you know, maybe a tie to their eventual goal, right? Whether that's exfiltration of data or ransomware. So threat hunting in its, I guess, most basic term is trying to find traces of that within the network, right? So... So yeah, so um, I was going to summarize it a tad bit different than Will did, and, and maybe I should chime in now um so when i when i was look when i think about threat hunting i i think of the idea of a team or an individual or maybe it's everybody in the organization that takes some time daily weekly monthly and all you're really doing is you're reviewing right so you're looking for normalities in your system as to which that for can also show you abnormalities right so if you see that every night at 2 a.m. you have this incoming request 
from a weird IP that does something odd. I don't know what, maybe it's a SQL query. And, and you see it every night at 2 a.m. You know, maybe after you've done your research, you find out, oh, this is because our consultants have access to our system based on this IP port. And this is allowable because they're doing, you know, reporting for us, or they're doing billing, or they're doing something. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. But then when you see that same query all of a sudden pop up from somewhere else, you know, Italy or, you know, Kansas even maybe, but your consultants, you know, are in New York City. I think of that as kind of that, that threat hunting. You're just looking for things in your environment so that you have a definition of the norm. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking for things that are outside of the norm because outside of the norm is not necessarily a threat. But it could be an, uh, an indicator, as we use that term earlier, it could be an indicator that something's happening. Maybe they're just probing at the moment and looking. Maybe that's all they're able to do. Mm-hmm. But at least you now know that someone's trying to do something. That So when I think of threat hunting, it's more about defining the norm, looking for the abnormity. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Thank you, Eric. Uh, yeah, that actually, that actually is absolutely spot on. And really the, the biggest thing when you're starting to do threat hunting is you, you may not catch – you may not catch something – you know, the first day or week that you're that you're hunting for your own threats, but also the biggest thing to think about is where you're putting the data. And I think to be effective in threat hunting and even cyber threat intelligence really is, you know, and as this goes exactly with what you said, Eric, is understanding what is normal activity, what is abnormal, what is a definite red flag, right? Because you may have some things that are, that, that as you said, you know, two in the morning, a, a service runs that and it's done every morning at this time, possibly, possibly could just be a, a false positive, right? So to, to trend this activity over time and understand what the landscape of your internal applications and network looks like is really, is really key, right? And, and there's tools that help you identify this and visualize these trends so you can better understand you know, your internal network or internal, internal applications. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important for us to kind of be reminded that security tools are not bulletproof, right? Um, right. They, they can be bypassed even if you have whatever uh, security tool configured perfectly, right? You, you have the best engineers and they've configured it to a T. <clears throat> those tools can still have vulnerabilities that can be exploited, right? So there's excuse me, there's always a way for threat actors to gain access to the network. And sometimes that access is not going to be necessarily flagged by one of your security tools, right? Right. So it's important to be able to find these signs of an attacker within your network without the, the aid of your, um, protective security tools, right? Going back to that kind of NIST framework that we had talked about earlier, where there's so much focus on protection. Well, what happens when that fails? I need to rely on my detection piece and my response piece. And that's kind of where this comes in. Yeah, because I I tried to think of the same way. So, you know, internally, maybe you're just looking at, you know, reviewing your your logging and you see that your SQL server constantly communicates with your Active Directory server. And and upon investigation, you see that's an LDAP type request and it's authenticating users and stuff of that nature, right? But then at 
some point you start noticing that it's trying to reach out on port 22 or 23 for some yep. reason. And you say to yourself, why was my SQL server need to communicate with my Active Directory domain controller? And, and, and the, Active, the Active Directory controllers is denying the access because he doesn't have it open. He's not allowing it from the SQL server, so on and so forth. But the the action that's happening could be that trigger we're talking about, right? So that that indicator that we had talked about the word earlier. Um, and so that's kind of what I, I think of when I think of threat hunting. It's just, you know, you're, you're looking for things that are normal. And then because you see things that are normal, the things that are abnormal stick out, right? And so by them sticking out, maybe maybe they are – maybe it turns out that they reach out on port 22 – once a month for to pull down something, right? Yeah, and that's what's tricky. That's what's trippy, tricky because, you know, with the complexity, as systems become more complex, um, you know, there are, t- there are times when maybe a new application gets installed, maybe a new uh, process gets implemented from your right. IT team, and that kind of and that kind of goes into some of the things we're talking about when you're doing CTI or threat hunting. Is really you have to be mature in your basic IT organization to have good communications inside because if someone says, Hey, I need to send an email, I'm going to bounce it off of the server. You know, it's totally fine, but if you don't know about it, that can trigger all sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of chaos. Right. So having things like change yeah. management, you know, and communication inside your staff is highly needed when you start looking at threat hunting, because there's so many eyeballs looking at your, at your processes and, and looking at the services and systems that are running in your IT organization that you have to have good communication so you don't have a lot of false positives. Yeah. And we're kind of talking all the way around this, but you know, we're, we're already kind of getting into one of the topics that we want to discuss is why is it so important? Right. And, and we're, we're by defining threat hunting, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of revealing, you know, why it's important is, is, is to look for things that are abnormal in your network. Right. Um, or things that don't happen regularly, even right. So, so, so threat hunting, you know, the the importance of it, it never ends, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's something to to make sure people understand. It's not like you do it today and then, hey, I don't have to worry about it for a month, right? You know, this is something that never ends, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, when I when I was when I when I think about threat hunting and I think about my job and my my the guys that run my systems, you know, I think of it the same way. I always think about, you know, hey, when you're deploying new things and when you're working on a product and you see things in those environments, you know, think about security at all times, right? So you got to this port via, you know, RDP. Let's just say it was RDP. You RDP'd into the system. Well, is RDP a, a safe product to be getting into that system with, right? And then if it is a safe product to get into, how are you getting to it? Oh, so you can only get to it if you're on the VPN and then you're in this other network and you've gone to the Citrix server at the same time. That's the only way you can get to there. Okay, so so there's levels of security you've built into your RDP, but there's still a vulnerability there, right? So you, so you start thinking about that, right? You know, or, or maybe you say, oh, no, RDP's open to our, you know, our entire office, you know, even the secretaries can hit it via RDP. Then you start thinking to yourself, well, maybe we should lock it down to the secretary. So, so your threat hunting on your daily job there, you're not having, you're not, you're not defining it as threat hunting, but you're saying to yourself, when I do work, I should be taking security in, into my thoughts at all times, right? Because what we know is that the, ingest of data and the, the infiltration happens in one location and then what their goal is is to spread right because infecting one system 
will get them a dollar, but infecting a thousand will get them millions, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the goal is for them to move. So at all times, everyone in our organization should be thinking about security. And and then then the, the idea of threat hunting is a daily activity. And, and you bring up a good point there because that by doing threat hunting, you can really limit the scope of the damage, right? Sure. So initial access, you're talking about one device, right? <clears throat> then they want to spread. Well, if you can catch them at some point between their initial access and their final goal, you can really limit that scope of damage, right? Um, one, one key distinction that I want to make, because we've, we've brought up both, we've, we've talked about threat hunting, we've talked about CTI or cyber threat intelligence. <clears throat> they sound very similar, but they're not actually the same thing. Uh, they are intrinsically connected. And, and let's kind of go through that, that definition. So CTI is it's actionable um, information that, that you develop through a life cycle. Right, and and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this on our our next podcast. But it's it's uh, planning, collection, uh, processing, analysis, and uh, sorry, dissemination and feedback. So those are kind of your your <clears throat> your life cycle for CTI. And what you do with this, um, you use this information built in your cyber threat intelligence to guide threat hunting. Um, threat hunting by itself is, is searching for signs of a potential cyber threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas CTI is more of that, all right, let's, let's look at who we are as an organization, what, what industry vertical we are in, what we have that's valuable, um, what, what, those those assets that threat actors may want to um, try to get, and then what threat actors out there are interested in what we may have, right? How do those threat actors, um, you know, breach these networks? What what kind of TTPs or um, tactics, techniques, and procedures do they use? And let's develop countermeasures to stop those. Um, so they, they are connected concepts, CTI and threat hunting, um, in that CTI can be used to aid uh, proactive threat hunting, but they're, they're not actually the same thing. I, I like that term proactive threat hunting because we talked about it earlier, you know, that there, there's different kinds of threat hunting, right? Yeah. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Will, you want to you <clears throat> talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, when, when I was doing some research for this podcast, um, you know, which is, which is, which was really good because I learned a lot just in preparing for, for today's podcast, really looking at the type of threat hunting that's out there, right? There's structured threat hunting, right? And then there's unstructured and really structured is you're, you're taking a more of a, a framework approach. Um, and as you're as you said earlier, Michael, kind of the, you know, you're, you're, you're basing your approach of looking for vulnerabilities based on your own framework. Uh, and you're doing your research on the company. You're doing research from the standpoint of looking at external sources. Maybe you're looking at the SANS Institute. Maybe you're looking at different um, notification services of what exploits are out running around the world and what industry those things are, are, are hitting. And then correlating that to what your company 
what your company is and 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 uh, and directly looking for those vulnerabilities in your system, right? Can yeah. can, can you say that's that, that's the same kind of idea as saying, um, or maybe this falls in unstructured, but so we hear about a, a zero day type virus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having that data now, do we say, okay, so I see this zero day uh, virus came out. Here's the information that tells me if I have this. And then we hunt out that to see where we are vulnerable with that zero day. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I think also it's to the point where if you're saying, Hey, there's a zero day exploit and then there may be a patch for that, you know, uh, definitely applying that p- patch as soon as you can, or in your test environment, apply the patch and then, apl- and then roll it to production. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, on, on the flip side of that, you have unstructured, which is kind of what Eric was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where you're you're looking at your your log data and you see something that's an anomaly, right? And you key in on that, right? It's it's some type of trigger. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Hey, I this is this is an anomaly. I I need to investigate this a little bit further, right? <clears throat> and then It's it's a little bit like, um, I don't know, following a trail of breadcrumbs or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. With with these unstructured pieces, because you you find one piece of information and then you see where that leads you, right? Um, so definitely two different types of of, of threat hunting exist, um, and honestly, organizations will probably end up doing both, right? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> like Eric mentioned. Um, Threat hunting is something that should should go on and on, right? You just don't do it once and say that you're done. So in all likelihood, you will find a trigger at some point mm-hmm. that will cause you to do some type of unstructured threat hunting. And then depending upon the maturity of your organization, you can also do what's what's called structured threat hunting right when we talked about cti earlier um that's where the overlap will happen yeah yeah so would you say also so would you say structured structured hunting is um you're really deep diving into your systems and pro it's more of a proactively looking for vulnerabilities, looking for industry signs that you that you want to be prepared for. And unstructured hunting really is just looking at your alerts, looking at your triggers. Maybe you have an indication or what's called, um, there's, so there's two, two terms I want to talk about. There's an IOC and an IOA. And, and IOC stands for Indicators of Compromise, and another is uh, IOA, Indicators of Attack. So maybe, you know, you can look at, you know, you try to identify IOAs first. You want to identify maybe a potential attack or someone unsuccessfully coming in and that maybe it's your antivirus, maybe it's your endpoint protection. You're getting an alert that someone's trying to get in. And then you start hunting for that vulnerability. Okay, well, what are they trying to do? Maybe they're trying to RDP into a system and mount a remote drive through their through their laptop. Okay, I want to identify that and block it before it actually becomes a compromise. Right? Yeah. And and you bring up a good point there, right? It's you could start as basic as just deny logs, mm -hmm. right? Hey, this server that we have is just getting hammered 
by this remote IP. Right. They're trying RDP, they're trying Telnet, they're trying SSH, they're, they're trying a, a whole myriad of different ports. Unfortunately, it's getting denied. But because they're so persistent, I want to figure out who this is. Right. Right? And then uh, this will go into a future podcast, but you can you can research... Um, you know, IPs or, or, or domain names. <clears throat> or even document that or are paid to have someone that gives you those nefarious actors. Yeah, and, and hopefully tie this back to some type of uh, threat actor, right? And then once you've tied the IP back to the threat actor, you can learn more about them, their tech, t- tactics, techniques, and procedures that, that they implement. And then again implement countermeasures to protect against that, right? So would you say an example would be, let's say if we had a real-world example of an unstructured hunting attack, right? Or an unstructured hunting would be, maybe I have a system, a file server or web server, um, and somebody on the internet, maybe it's not my internal, or it could be in, in my internal network, or maybe, you know, externally, is trying to log into the system. And they're getting, uh, maybe they're getting uh, password deniers, right? It locks their account out, that particular account out for five minutes. And they do it again repeatedly. That would be an indicator of an attack, not necessarily an indicator of a compromise, but an indicator of an attack. And you look at, as you said, Eric, you look at your deny logs, you look at, you know, um, maybe you have some type of, uh, protection software running in your environment that alerts you, hey, this person's trying to trying to compromise my system. And, and it's that indicator of someone trying or attempting to doing something bad. Then you take a step back and go, okay, what are they trying to attack? What's the what's the the risk of the system? What is the data that that is behind that system? And then, you know, it could I fix this problem with either a deny rule in my firewall or maybe I need to do, make sure that uh, passwords or, you know, 32, 64 characters long, something like that. You're using proper security on your system. Maybe look in, maybe that behind that web server, there's a SQL server, right? And you, you make sure that there's a more secure connection between the web and SQL servers where the chance of someone doing much more damage is, is limited, right? Um, and I would think an indicator of attack is probably something that goes directly with threat hunting. Because you're getting someone, or unstructured threat hunting, because you're getting someone telling you right off, hey, I'm trying to hack you. Indicator of compromise is a little bit more elusive because maybe an indicator of compromise is someone's already gotten access to your system and maybe they're leaving breadcrumbs or, you know, there's there's signs. Maybe there's some log files or there's some, uh, you know, bot installation folders on your C drive, you know, that, that you didn't notice, right? And, or, and that's or kind of outbound. an... Outbound traffic. Or outbound yeah, right. traffic, right? Going to yeah. some country that you don't have any business with. You could say, okay, I think I've been hacked. I, I haven't gotten hit by ransomware. There's no problem, but maybe I'm, I'm starting to identify a botnet being installed and configured. That would be an indicator of a compromise, but you can limit the impact by quickly taking, you know, maybe going into CTI and kind of saying, okay, what do I need to do to circumvent this or remove that compromise? Yeah. Right. I think I think when I think about these two terms in my mind, I think about structured hunting as pre an event. 
This right. is happening before the event has happened. This is happening daily, m- weekly, monthly, that kind of thing. We're just we're just trying to proactively be aware of our environment. And when I think of unstructured hunting, I think of of the idea that it's either post the event or during the event. So right. the event could be that we just heard about a zero day type uh, notification. Or, or it could be that we already know someone's in our system, and so we're trying to then th- hunt out, like you said, whatever could they get. But, but basically, the the difference between the two is structured is pre the event, unstructured is post. Yeah. Yes, I, I think so. And and really, hopefully, you're you're catching the problem where it's in a you're identifying the attack and not identifying the compromise. Correct. But if you can stop it before it becomes a compromise, that is that is the world, right? Because yeah, I mean, if, if they if they come in on port eighty four four three with a known vulnerability to a web server, and then from there they're trying to pivot because on that web server it's just static data, let's say, and that server might have access back into SQL to to print, present something to you, maybe a login or maybe access to an application, and. Uh, and also that web server maybe has some kind of other kind of authentication mechanism that it's also got access. Well, if it's trying to trigger to both all those systems, you know, when it starts moving laterally like that, then you start saying to yourself, you know, hey, something else is going on, right? So I don't really care if this web server is compromised, so to say, okay, I can recover from that because there's no data on there. I don't have... I don't have anything that's PHI. I don't have anything that's HIPAA. I don't have anything that's related to my employees. Nothing. It's just a. It's just a web interface. But that interface does have access to other systems for other reasons. So now I need to say, what could it access? Right. Let's track it down. Right. Let's see what he's trying to do. Maybe he's trying to probe, like you said, on on, you know, some kind of weird port to get access to something else. Maybe there's another known vulnerability with Microsoft. Um, Active Directory that it knows it can exploit. So if it can hit that Active Directory domain controller and get that access, it can get the whole SAML downloaded, right? So we'll maybe we start looking for those options, those those movements, and you also look for how can I block that, or maybe I just say I block off access to to that environment. The web server stays up; I'm not shutting it down. The, the, the nefarious actor can be within the system while I'm doing more research, but at that point. He can't get he or she can't get past this environment, right? So that's that's that unstructured hunting piece. Yeah. So we've talked about what threat hunting is. We've talked about the types of threat hunting. We've talked about the distinction between threat hunting and CTI. Let's talk a little bit about. Okay, this sounds awesome. <laughs> I I want to start threat hunting. What what do I need? to start this, right? And and there are a few things that you need. And, and one of, um, I think probably the most important things that you need is analysts, mm-hmm. like people, right? As great as technology is, <clears throat> and there are a lot of technologies that boast uh, <laughs> the, the ability to, <laughs> Will's looking very What are you right laughing now. at, Faisley? <laughs> The, the ability to automate things and, and can maybe lessen um, some of the work on the analyst, the, the fact still remains that you have to have somebody to, um, to, to look, look at this, right? Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. If you're doing, uh, you're, you're looking at logs on firewalls, mm-hmm. you can create automation 
to flag if you see outbound SMB traffic, which something you're, you're not going to want to see, right? Or inbound RDP, whether it's allowed or denied, right? Yeah. So you can alert on certain things and you can even do additional automation to trim that down and say, hey, there's, there's this one IP that's really just exceeding all kinds of thresholds. It's tried this many times in, in the last, you know, so many minutes. But in the end, a person is going to have to look at that and make some mm-hmm. type of judgment, well, right? So you have to have analysts that are able to look at this data. Yeah, and, no, and, and look, and, and, and this is where it gets even more complicated, right? Because you're not taking your, your junior analysts that started working for you last year and asking them to start looking at logs, right? And this is where it gets, you know, the word complicated is not the right word, but just, you know, muddy, but typically you're going to have your more seasoned seasoned analysts, you know, your your older, more mature, longer in the business type environment. And that's not always true because a lot of times you have these people that come in and, and they're boy geniuses or girl geniuses at, at 20. And, and, and that's great. We, we, those are the people we're looking for, obviously, in this world. But typically what you're going to find is that you're going to be assigning this kind of work to the people that, you know, hey, I've worked in Linux, I've worked in Microsoft, I've worked in Active Directory, I've worked on SQL, I've worked on yeah. Mainframe, I've worked on, you know, Unix. I understand the different pieces and parts, the people, the way these kind of systems communicate, right? Because each one of the, it's all about communication, right? That's what it is. It's just one system talking to another system. And so when, when I know that, you know, um, an active directory domain controller is going to work, going to communicate with a workstation, especially when it powers on, it's going to be hitting a ton of ports. So the workstation is going to power on. It's going to ask for, uh, you know, access to active directory and they're going to negotiate ports to communicate. It's going to be these bizarre mm-hmm. to higher level ports. You know, this is something that someone who's seasoned knows that. So maybe they see every single morning, they see this brain, this, this, gigantic growth of, of access to the active directory from this subnet. And then you find out, well, that every morning is when the Seattle office powers on all their workstations. Yeah. Right. I definitely think it, uh, and I agree with what you're saying, Eric, that seasoned people, you know, but, but I will also say you have to have a person who likes doing that type of work. You have to have, sure. you know, so I wouldn't say it's always a seasoned, you know, IT. Well, and that's why Although, I said there's, that's why I said it's muddy water, right? Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And and it does help when you have someone who's got background in networking, virtualization, Active Directory, Linux, Unix, and so on. Um, but also sometimes that can be something that can be a hindrance because your own preconception of how something should work sure. might actually work against you, right? So I think it's a good combination of having a mixture of different levels of um, of, of experience when you're putting together a cybersecurity uh, team, right? And I do think that maybe younger people who are coming out of college or coming out of some type of training, which right now there's tons of really amazing training courses um, and study but you have to find someone who's really interested in doing that type of work. You have to be almost like a detective, right? And have that mindset of let me think outside the box most of the time to, to identify these problems. You know, it does help to have some background in these different disciplines, but also have kind of that, that um, you know, private investigator mindset where you're going to go look at maybe the most common things and try and piece together a crime scene. Yeah, Eric touched on some like hard skills, right? Yeah. 
uh, understanding networking, understanding systems, understanding, you know, certain technologies. Will touched on an important soft skill there, right, of, of just uh, that kind of detective mentality where you're searching for clues and things like that. Another thing that I think is very important is how you work well with others, right? You, you can't have, um, or at least in my opinion, uh, it's, it's not going to be great to have a threat hunter who doesn't want to talk to anybody who, or who doesn't work well with others because being a threat hunter, you're going to have to be able to communicate with internal teams to understand if certain types of behavior are normal. Right. There's no way that you can understand what every type of application is that runs inside the network and every nuanced detail of how those applications run. You, You need to be able to rely on the owners of those applications to fully understand them. So I I think that that's a really important soft soft skill for a threat hunter to have. That soft skill cannot be underestimated because you can think as a perfect example, you know, maybe you see maybe the threat hunter sees that there's this weird port open. And so by instinct, the person says, Hey, you know, this port's open. I know about these 50 vulnerabilities in this port, go shut it down. Well, the owner of the application is like, I can't shut that down. I've, I've got this application that uses those ports to get this data that we use over here for something else, right? So, so not having that ability to communicate and say, hey, what's going on here? How are you using this? Uh, what version of this are you using? Maybe you have, you know, this port open, but it's an older version, or maybe it's a newer version that doesn't have the same vulnerabilities, you know, being able to communicate and talk with the owners becomes essential. So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. <clears throat> so we've talked a bit about the analysts. Another thing that's super important, it's like it's like 1A and 1B. I mean, like right, right up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Any guesses? Uh, data. Data. I was going to say data. You, you got to have the data, right? Having the analysts is important, but if they have nothing to look at, or sure. we're, we're, kind, we're, kind, it, right? we're kind of bleeding into that intelligence piece, right? Um, not, not really. I'm, I'm talking about like log data from. Oh, I got you. Devices, yes. Okay. Right? Cool. Yeah. Um, not, not, not getting into the CTI piece yet, uh, but but actual like raw data, right? Yeah, Without- so so that I think that's, okay, I, I, I totally know where you're going with it now. Um, you know, and, and data and logs are something that, you know, we, we do, but do we do a day of logging? Do we do three days of logging, a month, a year, mm-hmm. right? What is, what is expected of us to keep? Because data costs money. Right. You got to have somewhere to store it. You got to have somewhere to store it, and you have to make sure that you turn on the data logging in some degree, whether it's data logging, firewall logs, system logs. You, you have to have a, a place where one place where this stuff is aggregated, right? And you want you need to have this. Now, I don't know, I, Faisley, Would you say how long should a person keep logs from a system? Are we talking? I think. I think. But Will, it's that famous word you like. <laughs> it depends. It depends. Yeah. Um, so, you know. I mean, if you have a system that is, you know, under, you know, uh, 
certifications and 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 uh, rules and regulations from industry, mm-hmm. they can t- they can tell you what kind of logging you should keep. Um, but you know, when you think about this, at a minimal, you're probably going to keep a week of logs at a minimal, right? Oh, uh, I said at a minimal. Yeah, <laughs> Michael's yeah, yeah. put this thumbs up like he's way more, <laughs> and, and he's right. He's he's. But but I'm saying at a minimal. Think about this. So if I get attacked, most likely it's going to happen Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning kind of thing. Yeah. If I don't have three days or a week, I'm not even past that in my logs to see things that that happened, right? Yeah. So same with backups, by the way, right? So it's the same kind of idea. So I don't even I can't even go far the far enough in the yeah. In the history to even look at what was going on when it when it, when it started, so at a minimal you're, you're you're a week, but you're probably looking at more like six months. Yeah, I was right? just about to say I would think probably the safe place would be six months to a year worth of logs. Uh, and yeah, year, because what is what is what do we know about threat? What do we know about threat hunting and and, and attacks? What what are what are the, what does the industry say? I mean, Michael, I, I'm going to throw out some numbers, and I'd have to go pull down some articles to prove these numbers. But I'm going to pull down some numbers that I've just heard over the last couple of years. So, how long is it before before from the time I find that person in my environment? How long has it been since that person has been in my environment? What's the typical mean time to discovery it varies, i'm going to, but it can be two months and i've heard people saying as much as 200 days yeah that's right that's that's high but right and then um, and then and then remediation of that is another 70 days right yeah. these are numbers i've seen from ibm uh so ibm come out and tell you these numbers and we can throw some links into this later um but it, it does it does vary a bit. Like we kind of open this conversation depending upon the threat actor, right? It it, it really depends upon their goal. Yeah. Some type of threat actors they get in there and there's a certain target that they have in mind, and if they're able to get to that quickly, they're they're in and out, right? Um, especially if if they just want to make a quick buck, right? Mm-hmm. With with some ransomware. Um, it depends on the patience of the atta- the patience of the attacker, right? Yeah. If they're waiting yeah. to say, "Hey, I need to," make, like you said, "I need to make a quick buck. Let me turn this on, and then a week later, I'm going to start ransomware," or it could be, "Hey, I'm going to take eight months, and I'm going to sit dormant for eight months, and then kaboom!" Right. The problem is most likely if it's that long, then you may have definitions that start propagating. You may have avail- uh, awareness of that compromise, and then you can kind of nip it in the bud. So, you know, I think the longer, the more logs you have, the better. But at some point in time, there's going to be a diminishing returns of how much logs is actually useful, unless you're governed by somebody that requires seven years of logs. Sure. And I think the the nature of the type of log will matter too, right? So if we're talking right, about, right, exactly, you know, if we're talking about like, uh, port activity, maybe you're just caching the, 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 the IP addresses and the ports that are being hit. And that's very small. Right, that's just a very simple, and it can be deduped and compressed pretty very well on any kind of system, right? And if you're talking about access deny type requests, you know, um, those are other things that are they're small, right? They can be deduped and compressed and pushed off. But if you're talking about things that are more complicated in nature, and the logging has structure built to it that is is you know looping in multiple systems, it, it could be more complicated to keep it. So. Yep. 
And that kind of goes into our next topic, right? When we start looking at, you know, when you have all this data, how do you make sense of it? You know, how do you put all this together and actually start, to, you know, you take all this, you know, thousands and millions of, of lines of logging and how do you make sense of this, right? No one person's going to sit there and go look at every single line. You have to have a way to intelligently digest this, synthesize this, and then bring data to actually being useful, right? Yeah. And so one example of that is is going to be a SIM, right? Yeah. Or, or security <coughs> information and event management S-I-E-M. S-I-E-M, yes. <laughs> um, so those can be used to basically pull in log data from all kinds of different sources, firewalls, load, load balancers, uh, servers, endpoint protection, you know, a, a wide array of uh, different devices. And, and depending upon the SIM solution that you go with, they function in different ways. Some just do a port mirror, some do log forwarding. It, it varies depending upon the vendor. <clears throat> Having said that, within SIMs, you can um, basically write rules that will trigger on certain types of um, log data. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I was referencing earlier, where you can put in automation to say, hey, if I see this or maybe A and B happen at the same time, I want to flag something. Mm -hmm. Right. So not just a log failure, but 10 log failure or sorry, uh, a login failure, but 10 login failures in two minutes. Right. right. And that's why you start looking, that, that's when you start looking at like smart systems like AI and things like this that can maybe build this intelligence into your threat management and then take action. Maybe you want to give the ability to eradicate virus, eradicate a threat, give that ability to the AI and let it actually take active measures to combat this, 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 um, this vulnerability. And by the way, we can call this new tool you know, Skynet's a great name for this, right? Because then, you know, it, we tie it into all our systems and just say, Skynet, please take care of everything for me. Nothing can go wrong with this, by the way. Nothing. <laughs> the, the admin of that will be Sarah Connor. <laughs> you know, what's funny, you know, what's funny is that if you look, if you, if you, if you watch the movies or read the books or whatever, um, I don't even know if there was a book on Terminator, but the, the actual premise of Skynet coming to be was to actually be a cybersecurity um, antivirus program that they gave more and more control to, and then it went out. It went it went crazy, right? Well, I, sure. I, I, so, I, I, so, I digress. We need a little break from all the heavy cybersecurity because you know I'm starting to like I'm starting to sweat. It's like, oh man, I got to go check my servers right now. The the threat actor is also going to say, hey, they have these tools. Right. Or, hey, I got my own set of tools. Right. Yeah. And so I can I can write my own counteractions to their their AI. Right. So there I and, and what, you know, when you were talking about AI, we're really talking about scripting and, and trying to, you know, yeah. figuring out, looking at similarities between things that are happening. Well, if the if, if the threat actor knows how to do the same thing, threat actors can say, hey, as these log events, are, as I'm generating these log events, clean them up and delete them. Right. They can yep. do stuff of that nature. Right. So they, so threat actors are becoming more and more intelligent as well. And they're utilizing some of the same scripting tools and same kind of thought processes with which to, to help, you know, hide themselves. It's a continual game of cat and mouse, right? Sure. 
and, and you know that's what makes it scary and also interesting, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the last thing that that is really useful when you're talking about threat hunting is what we talked about earlier. That's the tie-in for threat hunting. That's CTI, right? Or your, or your threat intelligence, um, and that can be gathered from within, right? Where you go through that life cycle uh, internally to your organization, or it can be procured from outside, from maybe a um, an MDR or some other uh, organization that so sells what, what's an threat M- intelligence services. What's an MDR? Because I have no idea. Managed detection and response. Okay, okay. A lot of MDR organizations will offer threat hunting services. Okay, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> or via um, OSINT or open source intelligence. Um, so you can procure threat intelligence from outside uh, or inside, or you can do both. Both. Um, Again, the caveat with doing it internally, um, you can't just decide on a whim one day like, eh, I'm going to do CTI, right? It's, it's, it's a very complicated process. Like with imp- implementing any type of, um, you know, lifecycle framework, it's, um, it takes people, it takes time, it takes resources. But I think, Faisley, the, the thing to think about when you're, when you're, starting you know maybe you're a mature or maybe a not mature organization the thing you need to think about when you're starting to doing this is actually the hardest part is just getting started and i would say to be the the people that are successful at this take one system at a time you know they don't try and they don't try and solve the world's problems or solve their it you know security systems all in one day right and i think the idea is to start small but be consistent and take one system, you know, one system or group of systems at a time and understand each of those systems and move on to the next until you have that mature, you know, threat intelligence, um, threat hunting practice nailed down, right? And I think a lot of people will, when they start thinking about this, they get discouraged or they get, you know, this is going to cost a lot or this is going to take a lot of work and, and they just don't do anything. And I think sure. the people that are successful are the ones that say, okay, well, I'm going to start with just one system. I'm going to start with maybe a group of systems, maybe my VMware technologies or my Hyper-V, you know, Microsoft uh, technologies. And I'm going to focus on that. And that's all I'm going to focus on. Or maybe my network, uh, you know, my, my, my firewall and, and perimeter security. I'm going to focus on that. And then over time, you start building the, the logs, you start building the intelligence, and you start moving into it, right? And where you're now doing it more maturely, you're doing a more thorough investigation, and it's not just, you know, not trying to solve the world's problems in, in a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that there's <clears throat> there's a validity to that, and, and there's, um, there's a way to dip your toe in, right? <laughs> and you can, quote, do threat hunting while another much larger company also does threat hunting, but your threat hunting is not to the scale, right? So like, for example, if, I don't know, a hundred person organization um, wanted to start doing threat hunting, they they certainly could. Is it going to be as um, 
uh, mature of of a, a threat hunting, or if they do CTI, is it going to be as mature as a practice as say like Proofpoint? No, but doesn't mean that they can't do it, right? Uh, like you said, something is better than nothing, right? You can you can start with hey, I'm I'm going to look at my firewall logs and my endpoint logs, or my firewall logs and my <clears throat> Uh, system event logs. I'm going to offload them to to a sim and and start trying to to do some of this in a in um, either in a structured or an unstructured nature. Mm-hmm. Are there are any particular tools that that as a, as a starting agent, if I, I'm just starting this for the first time, is there certain kind of tools I should focus on? Or yeah, uh, <laughs> there there are a lot. There, there are a lot of uh, don't don't think of it as just tools, but also data sources, right? Um, when when I think of a tool, I'm thinking of a sim, right? Um, like we we talked about earlier with a, as a means to synthesize data. When I talk about something like data sources for threat hunting, I'm thinking about a suspicious domain list, right? Uh, some type of um, feed, like maybe they have a RSS feed that I can subscribe to or something like that, where I can pull down new domains that are associated with malware, right? And then if I see those domains on my network, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to flag on that and go investigate. Um, so that that would be one uh data source that that you could utilize some type of suspicious or compromised domain um you know data source um one thing that that i talked about a little bit earlier um was osint or open source intelligence that's super broad there's all kinds of different things that that you can utilize in there to um procure data um MITRE ATT&CK, we're going to talk about this pretty heavily in the next one on um, cyber threat intelligence, but basically this was created to document real-world attacks that have occurred, Mm. document those groups, those adversary groups that were associated with those attacks, and then their tactics, techniques, and procedures used in said attacks. And MITRE ATT&CK is really cool because you can kind of start at either direction, right? You can start at the the group level and look at the TTPs that they used and then see what type of mitigation or detection um, controls you can put in place to, to counter those. Or you can start on the TTP side and then find what groups... Um, start there, but again, we'll we'll talk about that one more in depth in um, in our next podcast. But that one is heavily, heavily utilized by uh, threat hunters and threat analysts. Awesome. And kind of the the last one that I'll throw out there, uh, tool that you can use is is VirusTotal. Um, that that allows you to be able to you know throw in a domain that you see. Um, an IP address, a hash, maybe a file hash that, that, that you see associated with something. And basically it'll run, assume it's a hash, right, that, that you pull out of Carbon Black or Sentinel-1 or whatever it may be. Um, you dump that hash in there, 
and then it'll run it against, I think it's 72 different security vendors to give you some type of verdict, right? Hey, 13 of us think this is this is malicious and we think it's adware or we think it's crypto miner or whatever it may be. Um, that's that's a pretty neat tool. And a lot of vendors are already kind of tied into <clears throat> virus total. So they'll have like little buttons within their toolkit where you can say like, oh, hey, I want to look this up. <coughs> Excuse me, this file name, this hash, uh, whatever it may be. And that's that's a pretty useful tool as well. That's awesome. Well, well Faisy, I think it you're coughing a lot, so we want to make sure you don't have a virus. I think you're fine, but, you know, we want to make sure you're good to go. Um, this has been really interesting, guys. I mean, I think this is a lot of good information. It, it's definitely, um, you know, it, it definitely gives us everyone something to think about and kind of some things to where we can get started with with this, with Cyber Threat Hunting. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we're going to we're going to um, start looking at some notes for the next podcast, so we can we can continue the the conversation. Uh, again, we can be found on um, you know all the major aggregators, um, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and then we'll post links in the in the show notes to our different websites. Where if you want to get to us from directly from our venue.com website uh, slash podcasts. You can get to there. As always, we're looking for uh, suggestions for upcoming episodes, or maybe you'd like to be a guest on our episode. You can please email us at podcast at venue.com, as well as go to the podcast website on venue.com and uh, interact with us. There's actually a link there where all you have to do is click the link and it sends us all an email. So guys, I think we're going to wrap it up for today and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you guys. Thanks guys.